Good morning, Foothill Church. I'm Jessica Hall and a covenant partner, and I volunteer in the info tent. Today's scripture is found in Acts 2, chapter 2, verse 42 through 47. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all God's people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved." This is God's word. You may be seated. We started a series that we're just calling Generosity. And it's, it's really, I know uh, if you're new today, then, then uh, probably when you hear generosity, you think money. You're going to talk about money and money and money. And, 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 and yes, we, we must talk about money when it comes to our generosity, but we must talk about a whole lot more because, because you could be uh, very financially generous. You might give more than anybody, greater percentage, whatever, but that doesn't mean that you're biblically generous. In fact, some of you will use your, 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 your money to sort of make sure you don't have to be radically generous. Let me just show you. Remember, give you a, a, a definition that we've given of biblical generosity. We said this, biblical generosity is the spirit-created a radical impulse to sacrificially give to others who cannot repay me because of Christ's radical sacrifice that I cannot repay. Now, this has so much more, right? Christ's sacrifice for us was not monetary. It was a whole life sacrifice. That's why we went to places like 1 John 3, 16. By this we know love. This is how we know what love is. It's this radically generous thing that Jesus Christ did for us. He laid down his life. He didn't just take a bullet, he laid down every day of his life for us, so we ought to do the same, John says, for others. That's, that's the anchor. That's where all of this radical generosity comes from. So this is far more than money. It pervades every part of life. It seeps into every part of our, our existence. And let me suggest to you, this is only something, that's why we've said it's a spirit-created radical impulse, right? Right? The Spirit gives us new impulses. Radical, we said that doesn't mean, you know, I know it's like surfer skater talk. That, that's a word that, that its Latin root means it, it comes from the root. It, it comes from, from a, a heart change, we might say. It comes from a place deep within that permeates every part of life. So it, if we stop at money, we have truncated what biblical generosity is all about. And so we want to look and say, what, what exactly is this spirit-created generosity? In fact, I want to show you something in, in Ephesians chapter 3. Just note this for yourself, verses 16 and 17. Here's Paul, and let me read this for you. Paul is praying, and I'm going to, I'm going to pick it up kind of at the beginning of his prayer, and listen to how Paul prays. He says, I'm praying that according to the riches of his glory, this is God, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your your hearts through faith. Now, now think about what he just said. He, first of all, he's praying for Christians. And he says, I'm praying that Christ may dwell in your hearts. Now, if you think like, wait a second, I'm a Christian. Doesn't Christ dwell in my heart? And the answer is he does. 
He does. What Paul is saying is we want Christ to take up residence and for our lives to be suitable for him. D.A. Carson has a wonderful illustration where he basically says, think of as a, as a couple who goes in, they buy a fixer-upper home. You know, it needs work everywhere, the plumbing, the electrical, every single room. And so slowly, they go to work, this labor of love, they go to work making every room one at a time suitable for their life. Well, this is exactly uh, the image that we get when he says he wants to dwell. Yes, he dwells there. But does he, has he permeated every room, every nook and cranny, rewired the electrical, all that kind of internal, external stuff where you can say, Jesus Christ dwells. I have now, through, through, through him, made a suitable residence. And by the way, Paul says this takes enormous spiritual power. It takes the riches of his glory. It takes God doing a radical, that's what we mean by spirit created. God is doing something that we could not do on our own. So the grace of God comes. We started two weeks ago and we said, we're going to start with the origins of generosity. What is it? And we said we called it generosity and grace. And that is, it's the grace, the radical generosity of God toward us in Christ. But then that moves out of us. So we, we sort of took last week and said that results in going. That's one of the impulses of church planting and being a planting team or a core team, being a sending church is radical generosity that says, man, we want to go and take this good news to the nations. And today I want to look at what it means for us. What does it mean as we gather, generosity and gathering? What should be happening and how do we see generosity work its way? So I wanted to go to Acts chapter 2, verse 42. And I'm just going to tell you right now, there is a whole lot more to this passage than what I'm going to tell you about this morning. We could pretty much take almost every word in this passage and begin to unpack it in the way that Luke writes it. I just want to, I really want to focus in on two things. And what I want you to see from this is what does it look like when the Spirit creates a kind of radical generosity among the people of God within the context of a local church. Not just the people of God generally, but here is a local church. This is perhaps the best day in the life of any church ever. It's got to be the church at the highest point, but what does it look like? So, so let me just real quick overview, fly over Acts real quick. What's, what Luke is showing us is this is, he calls the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, right? The continuation of that, that we're seeing what it looks like for a church to walk in step with Jesus, to be filled with the Spirit. What does a Spirit-filled church look like? What does, a, what does a, 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 a church that is being created and recreated by the Spirit, what, what do they do? Like, where do they focus their attention? Well, that's what we see here. And I want us to see that through the lens of what we're talking about with generosity, okay? So, so look, this is, this is helpful, by the way, because if you're new, a lot of people come sort of looking for churches in the fall. And so if you're here and you're saying, hey, we're kind of checking out Fiddle Church, we're not sure, um, then, then let, let me just suggest something to you. Like, I, I'm going to actually hopefully be helpful to you. Not, not so much to say, hey, man, we're, we're living everything I'm going to show you perfectly. We're not. But, but these ought to be things, there, there should be some markers that you see as you look for whether or not a church is a biblical church, right? You may have your own preferences, I like this, I like that. Well, in some ways, who cares? What does the Bible say? What does the Bible say we ought to be looking for in terms of markers, okay? So let, let's look at the first marker is simply this. I'm really just going to give you two, it's two big broad categories. Number one, I want you to see devotion. 
there ought to be devotion. Now look at it, verse 42. He says, and they devoted themselves. Now let's stop there. I promise I'll go faster in a minute, but listen, let's talk about devotion just for a moment. That's a, that's a word that we all know. We may not use it commonly, but definitions are really important. It's really important that we understand what devotion means, right? What do you mean when you say you're devoted to something? The word here in the Greek has, has this idea of, of a intense, sustained dedication, effort, even in the face of difficulty, right? And look, we all know that. that. That's what devotion is. If you just give up when things get hard, you're not devoted to it, right? You're sort of a fair weather person and you, you don't chase after that thing with a devoted heart, right? But no, if you're devoted, if you're devoted to the losing team, whether they keep losing, you're really devoted, right? You're, you're not just somebody who switches teams when, just because things are going great. You, you, you are a devoted fan. So we talk about it in these terms. And this is, this word here says they were, they were, they had this kind of devotion. It's not casual, it takes effort. It gets a place of priority. Um, it's going to happen even when circumstances and life work against it, even when it feels like they're losing. However you want to describe that, that's what devotion is. Devotion is intense effort and, and dedication even in the face of difficulty. Now, so the question isn't, uh, are you devoted to something or someone? The, the question is, because everybody is, everybody in this room, you have some high-level devotion. The question is, to what? To whom are you devo devoted? Right? Because it's already there. It's just, what is it? See, something, someone has that kind of grip and attention in your life. What is it? Okay, that's an important question for us to answer. But what is it for this early church? Now keep going. They were devoted to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, the breaking of bread, and the prayers. Now, now we could say each of these are kind of technical terms, but I, I want you to see this. This is where, what got their devotion. The, the apostles' teaching, fellowship, breaking of bread, and prayers. Now, where do we, where should we see all of those things happening? And the answer is church. We gather to, to hear the word of God preached. That's the apostles' uh, teaching, right? So let me just, just, just very, very briefly, and there's a lot we could say about this, but, but you're gonna have to trust me and you can look me up on this. The apostles' teaching is just, it might be a shorthand way of saying, look, this is what was passed down to us. Well, they didn't have all these books put in a nice leather-bound Bible for you. We do. So we have the apostles' teaching. It's called the New Testament, the New Testament is telling us how to even read the old. So we could just shorthand this and say they were devoted to the word of God as taught by the apostles. And what we want to be sure is that we're teaching our Bibles accurately, faithfully, right? That's what got their devotion. And this should be happening in the local church. So look, here's this early church and they are eager. They are devoted to something. They gave their selves with intense effort to these things. And in a word, that's the church, right? They gave themselves to that, to the, to the people of God, to the place of God, to, to the church of God. That got their attention, even as you read the book of Acts, as you read through the New Testament, even in the face of persecution, even in the face of hardship, even when life got difficult, even when they were on the losing team. 
because they were devoted. That's devotion. What are we devoted to? Now, notice in verse 42 that the thing that takes, if you will, priority on the list is the Word of God. Um, we do this in English. It's, it's even more critical in, in languages like Greek. Word order is very important, very important. You can, you can actually front load things in Greek that you can't in English. They can mix up their sentences in strange ways. And what gets first priority in this sentence in Greek is the Word of God. They devoted themselves to the Word of God, to the apostles' teaching, right? This was not a secondary matter. This was foundational to everything. That got priority. Now, let me say something. Um, you don't have a church without biblical teaching. You just don't. I, was I got an email, not from somebody here, somebody who lives out of town a few weeks ago, and they were basically asking me the question, hey, I've been attending this church, and man, it's really, they're all really tight-knit, and we'll spend, you know, an hour in musical worship, and then sometimes the pastor doesn't even preach, and when he does, he kind of just does this little short little sermonette. Well, look, I don't want to be harsh here, but there's a difference between going to a concert and being part of a church. There's a difference between being part of a club and being a church. You could have all the fellowship in the world, but if the word of God is not central, if it's not being preached to you, you don't have a church. You could have the most wonderful Maverick City worship, and if that's all it is, it's a concert, it's not a church. The word of God preached, delivered, taught to the people is central to what it means to have a church. Um, and the spirit creates this hunger. See, let me suggest to you, uh, the Spirit will not draw you away from the Word of God. He will draw you toward the Word of God. He will not create a disdain in you for doctrine and understanding and learning the things of God. He'll create, like, I need more of that, right? It's like, it's like, like, like we're infants, and, and infants crave the, you know, sort of the food, right? They, they, they crave to be fed, but they don't just crave, they need it, right? It's not just the craving that does it. It's like, man, I've got to actually have it or I die. That's why Jesus says, man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. We cannot live. Do you understand this? We cannot live spiritually without the, the, the word of God. Jesus says in John 16, 13, right? Uh, that, the, that the spirit of truth is going to come and, and teach. It's going to guide you into truth, right? How does he do that? Primarily through the word of God, through the teaching and the preaching of the word, word of God. This is what the early church did. Man, we want to know more and more and more and more. This takes top priority for us to learn. God's not trying to create theological eggheads and nerds. He's trying to teach us. We must know it. This is what feed our souls. Now, now, look what happens. In verse 43, an awe came upon every soul. Many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. Now, there's more we could say about what led to this awe, what led to these signs and wonders. But let me just say this. <clears throat> I think what's happening here in the beginning of the early church is that God is attesting to uh, the truthfulness of what they are preaching through signs and wonders. Right? He, is, he is saying, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to test just like he did with Jesus. So, so they're, they're following in Jesus' line, and this is the continuation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so you're going to see when they preach that these, these real definite miracles happen. Now, 
I believe in the sign gifts. I believe God still heals. I believe God does all that. But let me just say this. I think one of the primary things we ought to see is when the word of God is preached, like the greatest miracle of all takes place, and that's that people go from death to life. They are saved through the preaching of the word, right? Their eternal destinies are transformed. That's a, that's a, that's a wonder, that's nothing I can create. Anybody else can create. That's something that the word of God has the power to do. So what does this mean? We don't have apostles, but we do have their teaching in the New Testament. And we do have their understanding of the Old Testament. So we should be devoted to it. We should be hungry for it. We should be submitted to the word of God. Listen, if you're looking for a church and that's not happening don't go to the church, right? You ought to see that at a church of Jesus Christ. It's a place that, that, that bears his mantle. The local church should be marked by devotion to the word of God. It's not a casual devotion. It's not a, it's not I can take it or leave it, and neither should you be able to take it or leave it. It's not when you have time or when it makes sense in the order of service. Like from my perspective, from you, your perspective, this ought to be central to who we are devoted to the Word of God. Now, of course, they're devoted to other things. They're devoted to fellowship and the, 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 the breaking of bread and the prayers. Again, each of these, we could double-click on them and, and preach a sermon on. But, but I want you to see their devotion to the church of God, to the people of God, to the Word of God, and the Word of God is central to all of that, okay? That's the first thing. Number two is just, what's the other marker? It's just generosity, Okay? Just generosity. I, think, I, I, I don't think it takes incredible powers of observation to look at this kind of generosity that's happening here. So look at verse 44. All who believed <clears throat> were together and had all things in common, and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together, breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. Okay, I mean, th- this is an unbelievable thing that's happening here, right? That, that, that they are willing to sell possessions, give to others. Like they are, they are not just devoted to teaching, but to each other. And the way that's demonstrated is in this radical generosity. Here's where we begin to see how we ought to lay down our lives. This is love. Christ did it for us. We do it for others. This is what it means to lay down your life, right? Again, It's not the heroic moment of diving in front of a bullet and I can't believe he just did that. She just did that for me. It's the day after day spending our lives in radical generosity towards other people. This is what's happening. Like they are willing to do all this. They're willing to sell things and give. Now, the temptation is to read this through sort of 21st century eyes and go, oh, so, so really what the spirit produces is socialism, some sort of hippie commune where they all get together and just share stuff, right? That's not what's happening because if you look at verse 46, what do you see? They would go into people's homes, right? So some people, I think probably prompted by the spirit would say, I need to sell my house, right? I mean, some people, some of you, God may call you, sell everything and follow me onto the mission field. That might happen. Some, no, 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 don't sell it. You, you, you be a place where neighbors can gather. You be a place where the people of God can come in fellowship. You, 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 you be a host for a growth group. You open your home. You allow this to be something that ministers to the broader community. This is not socialism. This is, this is like, like they, they're, they're still doing life. But notice this, actually, actually uh, maybe flip over one page and go to chapter four. Look at verse 32. Now the 
full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul, and no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common. Now, again, you're like, that sounds an awful lot like something I don't like. <laughs> let, let, me, let, me see, let, me, let me see if I can help. Like, I, I think here's what's happening. The grip of stuff, let's say it this way, stuff had lost its grip. They, they don't need more things. And notice this, they didn't, they didn't call it their own. Like that's a word for us. How do you view, Christian, let me talk to you. How do you view your stuff? Like, like in other words, I, I think the idea is that they just held their hands open and said, Lord, you know, put in, take out. It's not mine. It's yours, right? It's not my house. It's not my truck. You know, these, this isn't my stuff. It's not my food. It's not my refrigerator. It's not my dinner table. This is yours. Now, God, you take, you put in what you want to put in and take out what you want. It's not my own. Christian, that is how we ought to be looking at the stuff we call our own. There's a, there's a guy who, who goes to church and he, he um, I don't know how long ago, but he decided to, to just buy a truck. And his purpose for buying a truck is he heard people need trucks all the time. And so he kind of just, it's there. And if you need to borrow it, he's like, people who know him, like, can I borrow it? Yep, it's there. It's in the driveway. The keys are in it. Just go take it as long as you need it. I mean, like, like who does that? Christians do that. Christians look at their stuff and go, man, it's not mine, right? This all belongs to God. And so God, it can be radically generous through each one of us. I think that's what's happening here, right? But, but notice this. I think this is interesting. It's not just that they're radical in their giving, that their generosity just extends to their giving. Notice it extends to their receiving. Look at verse 46. They, day by day, attending the temple together, breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, right? There's a, there's a generosity of receiving. Do you know this? Like, look, I know it's more precious to give than to receive, like we, because we don't want people being selfish and hoarding themselves, but do you know there's a kind of generosity that extends to receiving good things from people in a time of need? How many of us would, like, like man, we, we, we love the idea of being on the giving end. We don't want to be on the receiving end of generosity. One feels like you've got the power. The other feels like you're weak. That's not how this church looked at it. Like everybody went, it's really not yours anyways. And you're being a good steward of what God's giving you. And you're using it. And man, I find myself at a place of need and you allowed God to work through you to meet that need. That is so generous of you. And I'm so grateful to God that you, you allowed that grace of generosity to flow through you. Now, by the way, again, this is not just money. How many of us find ourselves empty emotionally and need encouragement? How many of us find ourselves in a time of, of crisis and need people who are gonna lift up our arms and weep with us and cry with us and laugh with us and, and be there in our lives, right? This is not just about sharing my stuff, it's about sharing my life. And there were people who would receive it with glad and generous hearts. 
Don't we all want to be the person who gives to someone like that? that recognizes, see, if, if you can only be the person who gives and can never receive with a glad and generous heart, I think that's so odd and amazing that it's phrased that way. They received gladly, they received generously. If you can only be on the giving side and not on the receiving side, um, you're not radically generous and you probably have a problem with pride, <laughs> right? right? Because that kind of generosity takes humility. But wow, what a gift. See, every one of us, sometime in our life, we're going to be right there. There's going to be time when God has gone, man, I have filled your hands to overflowing and you can just be radically generous in giving to other people because I have filled you up emotionally. I filled you up in terms of your life. I filled you up financially. I filled you up in all these ways. Now pour it out. There's going to be other times when you feel like, man, I am running on empty. I got no gas in the tank. I got bills, whatever. Whatever, right? And we're going to need to have the kind of, of humble generosity of receiving. This is, I'm so grateful for the people of God and for you and you met this need. There's radical generosity in both giving and receiving, okay? Now, here's a church um, and if we sort of paste together some numbers, if you go back to chapter 2, verse 41, you find out they added 3,000 people in one day. What a crisis. And they went from 120 to 3,120 apparently overnight, right, at the preaching of Peter. Okay, so this is a church roughly three times the size of us. And yet, right, a lot of us think, my gosh, that seems so impersonal, it's so big and huge, I don't want to be a part of that. Here's a church that is figuring out a way to be in each other's homes, to understand that, you know, like, like each other, to, to, to meet real needs. It's not impersonal. It's incredibly personal. It's incredibly like one-on-one -on -one life, right? I, I want to meet your needs. See, so, so, so here they understand that going to church is not just what we do in rows, but what we do in circles, right? It's not just what we do in here, but we do at home. It's, it's not just formal, but informal. It's yes, it's receiving the word of God, but it's also receiving from others with glad and generous hearts. It's, it's, it's giving myself, not just receiving because somebody preached to me, right? It is that the radical generosity begins to pour out of me. It's a both and, large and small. We could go on and on with the comparisons, right? So they're devoted to this. They're devoted to both of those things. See, look at they're, they're devoted to preaching or to the word of God doesn't mean this is just, it's purely a preaching center. It's, you know, it's a classroom. You come, pick up your books and leave. You don't care, right? I remember being in law school and you're like, look, I'm just trying to survive. I'm gonna go to this class and I'm going to study I probably will never get to know you. That's not church, right? That's getting a degree in something. <laughs> We're not doing that in here. So it's not just a preaching center, but listen, it's also not this so casual thing. Where it's like, hey, you know what? It's just me and my buddy and we, we grab our Bible and we open it up and we chat. That's not church. 
We need both. We need, we need this gathering. Now, let me, okay, Chris, we're talking about generosity. How is this and going into homes and doing what we do, how are these acts of generosity, of radical generosity? Um, because I think it takes devotion to do that. And I think it takes devotion to more than yourself. Right? The popular cultural idea right now is only you can take care of you and you've got to look out for number one and, and, and boy, nobody's going to watch over you so you, you've got to be careful. It's got to fit into your schedule. But, but boy, there's something about generosity that says, man, when it doesn't fit my schedule, it's something that says when this takes intense effort, for me to do because I'm not surrounded by people. Look, we all have people. I think I talked about this a couple weeks ago. We all have people like they're coming over to the house and it just feels like, man, this, this just feels like family. I mean, I, I don't feel any pressure. I'm not like, you know, making sure the laundry's folded. I'm not cleaning up. Just come on over. We're just glad to have you. There's other people who are like, oh no, they're coming, right? Oh my gosh, get everything prepared. It's gotta be exactly perfect before, we, before they arrive over, right? Or, or you're stressed about it. Well, um, uh, I, I, I think the idea is that, look, this doesn't, th th this, is, this is a time when we're going, I I'm sacrificing. Like there are times when I have to go, man, I, I don't want to do this. This doesn't feel comfortable to me, but I want to place myself in this path and, and that means I've got to be radically generous. Jesus, you've got to transform this part of my house because I'm not, I, I'm not surrounded by people that are like family all the time. I'm surrounded by people who are very different than me. D.A. Carson, I love this quote. He says, the church is made up of natural enemies. What binds us together is not common education, common race, common income levels, common politics, common nationality, common accents, common jobs, or anything else of that sort. Christians come together <clears throat> because they have all been saved by Jesus Christ. They're a band of natural enemies who love one another for Jesus' sake. It's so great. We are natural enemies. There's no reason we should be sitting in here. There's no reason that you should be shoulder to shoulder with some of the people that you're in here with, right? Because we're so different. And this is the beauty. This is the glory. Um, uh, a YouTube sermon is not is not church. APU students, I love the fact that they offer you all kinds of chapels for you to go to. That's not church. It's a chapel. Listening to your favorite podcast is not church. Church is an incarnational reality where you sit next to people who maybe are at different ages, should be different ages, different demographics, probably different voting patterns, all this stuff. And what happens? The world looks in and says, how? How is this even possible? In fact, this is how Paul talks in Ephesians chapter three. He says like the, the church displays the manifold, the varied wisdom of God. So the principalities and powers, like, like, like you know, angels and, are looking in and saying, how is it possible? Like, like, they voted very differently. They have radically different politics and they're singing together. 
I, we used to watch this uh, show when we were, uh, when the kids were young um, on National Geographic. Uh, it was called Eternal Enemies. I don't know if any of you have seen this, but it's essentially uh, how, it's telling the story, I didn't realize this, but that hyenas and lions are like, they're, they just hate each other, right? They just have an innate hate for one another and they'll actually pick on one another. Like they'll try to isolate and the whole, you know, the, the, the whole group will attack. I mean, they're just, they're just vicious to one another. Now, now just imagine, you know this, and you go on a safari and you go out in the savannah and you look out and there's lions on hiatus frolicking and playing and laying with one another and eating together. And they're having this, like, my gosh, you would think to yourself, how is this possible? Something supernatural is going on. That's it. The world looks in and says, how can they come together? How can people who have nothing in common be friends and sing and worship and hold hands and break bread together? Because while we were still enemies, Christ died for us. And so we die for one another and we die to our preferences and we die to our schedules, and we die to all these things that sort of separate us, right? This is, this is this radical generosity. The Spirit only can create that kind of thing. This is, this is why we, 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 we you, the, the, but, but when he does, like, then we are eager to share ourselves with each other. I want to share my home. I want to share my food. I want to share my resources. I want to share my money, but I want to go beyond that. It's not just about what I can do physically. Like, you need me. I need you. You're empty, and I want to help fill you with the encouragement of Christ. Right? This, is, this is the radical generosity that we need. Now, again, this is why we have classes and groups and all the things that we're trying to do right now. Like, you can sign up today, and, and you've heard all that. Go outside. They'll tell you more about it. Now, why do we do this? Because we think this is the perfect answer, and if you do this, you will walk in the kind of community you see in Acts chapter 2. Well, yes and no, Right? I think the potential's there, but look at all we're doing is saying, can we be intentional? Can we be intentional about putting ourselves in the path of this kind of thing? Can we, can we be intentional about being in each other's lives that are very, very different, and then as we do, we get to know each other and we begin to love each other? Some of you have heard me tell the story. When I was in seminary, <laughs> we were forced, literally, like we had to, uh, you, you wouldn't pass seminary unless they, you got into a group, these little small groups. I think there was 12 of us in this group, so it was six couples. Uh, and so Michelle and I go to our first one, and we start meeting the people, and it took us very short time to go, this is a freak show, <laughs> right? This is not normal. There was a dude, I'm not joking, that owned a pet black panther like two weeks before school. That's illegal, right? Okay, you can't do that, <laughs> but he did. There was a guy that had like a shrine in his home to Macintosh computers. I'm not exaggerating. Like I'm not, I, I literally, it was set up. It was like this, this, oh, here's one of the oldest Macs. I'm like, what the heck is going on here? So strange, okay? We spent two years together, every single week walking with these people. And by the time we left, we were weeping to have to leave them. This is what God does. This is how he binds people's hearts together, right? 
This is, this is the kind of, of thing that happens when we come together. So here they are, they're breaking bread and fellowship. We're sharing needs physically, spiritually, emotionally, all these things, right? And what's the result? Look at verse 47 again. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Now, now look, I, I, I don't think Luke wants us to miss this connection. That this church of irresistible influence becomes the place that God goes, I'm going to send more people there. I'm going to add, by the way, not the Lord added to their numbers those who left the church across town they didn't like. Not, Not swapping sheep, right? No, people are being saved. Why? God's going, you're, you're stewarding. You are, you are living out the kind of radical generosity that I've given to you. And because of that, I'm going to, and you think, man, this is a church of over 3,000 people. How could they possibly need more? Because this is a church of 3,000 people who are being faithful to what God has called for them to do. This is a church of 3,000 people who have found a way to be radically generous with one another. And listen, Foothill, when that's how we are with one another, what is, what is, they'll know us by our love for one another. They'll know we're disciples for Jesus by how we love the, 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 the quality, the quantity, the way that we love one another. Why? Because then, then you've got people who are looking in from the outside like through a window, like I'm looking at the pastries on the inside. My mouth is watering. I want one of those. Here is a church that's making people's mouth water. How can I get in on this? I want to know. I want to know what's the entry. How do I go there? I want to be a part of this. So irresistible, so winsome, so radically generous that, that God uses that kind of generosity to draw people to himself. Because they're living it out, aren't they? They're living out kingdom ethics in front of the world. They're walking with people. They're loving people. They're radically generous. This is what the Spirit creates. This is, this is, these are some of the markers that we ought to see when, when we are recipients of the radical generosity of Jesus. The Spirit, it spills over. It spills over into the church. It spills over into our homes. It spills over into our neighborhoods. It spills over in our love for one another. Loving people who are even very different than us. And God uses that to draw in a surrounding community that's looking through the window and saying, how do I get what you have? <laughs> Let me tell you. And we get a chance to see them come in and grow in grace. Let's pray that we will be a radically generous church like that. So Father, uh, we love you and we thank you for your word and we, we thank you, God. It challenges us, it provokes us, it rebukes us, it trains us in righteousness and I pray that we would be a people that would, would reflect even dimly uh, the power of, of what has happened to our lives both individually and collectively, that we are recipients of the most radical act of generosity the world has ever known. And may that spill out of us. 
may that permeate. God, may there not be rooms in our house that we say, Christ, you can't dwell here. But Lord, through your power, would you, would you allow Christ to dwell in a suitable home in our hearts by faith? that we might have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the height and the breadth, the, the width of the love of God that surpasses our ability to understand that on our own. And that through that great love, it might move us out. Move us toward each other, God. Move us toward each other emotionally and physically, and spiritually, in tangible ways, in, in ways of just being with one another and encouraging one another. And that, Lord, you might create in us a community that the watching world might look, that, Lord, the watching principalities might see your manifold wisdom displayed at Foothill Church, scratching their heads, saying, how is this possible? And it's only possible because of the life, the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We thank you for it. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.